0: Father, thank You for another Lord's Day. And we pray, Lord, that You would invigorate our souls with the beauty and fullness and reality of the risen Jesus as if we were the ones to visit the empty tomb on resurrection morning. That's why we're here. Because Jesus got up from the dead and is King forevermore, exalted to the highest place. We pray, Lord, that these different groups that are gathered around your word, from the children and teens and those here and others serving all around the building, Lord, that you would instruct us in your truth, that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law, and ultimately that we would know, love, and obey you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, well this is, for those who are new to the journey, our core doctrine series, it's systematic theology. It's the big truths of the Bible organized into uh, topics and themes, and we're walking through that based on our church's elder affirmation of faith. We're taking each article in our affirmation in three parts. The first three Sundays of every month, this is the first Sunday of March, so it's part one. Uh, Lord willing, next week, same article, part two, Lord willing, the week after that, same article, part three. So we're doing biblical, week one, historical, week two, and practical, week three. Uh, So I'll be leading, Uh, the plan is I'll be leading today and next week. And then I asked Blake Pugh to lead the third week, um, two weeks from today, on practical theology. We're going to be dealing with this topic. the month of March. It's article 9 in our Elder Affirmation of Faith. The title is The Justifying Act of God. I know that sounds like a lot of big churchy preacher word. Um, This is the doctrine of doctrines when it comes to a favorable meeting between God and man. This is so vitally important. uh, The Justifying Act of God I'll read our Elder Affirmation of Faith. I think it's on two slides. And then we'll back up and talk about, I hope, seven aspects of it. That's our goal for the next few minutes. So, if you can see uh, here, Article 9 says, We believe that in a free act of righteous grace, God justifies the ungodly by faith alone, apart from works, pardoning their sins, reckoning them as righteous and acceptable in His presence. Faith is thus the sole instrument by which we as sinners are united to Christ, whose perfect righteousness and satisfaction for sins is alone the ground of our acceptance with God. This acceptance happens fully and permanently at the first instant of justification. Thus, the righteousness by which we come into right standing with God is not anything worked in us by God, neither imparted to us at baptism nor over time, but rather is accomplished for us, outside ourselves, and is imputed to us. One more slide. We believe nevertheless that the faith which alone receives the gift of justification, does not remain alone in the person so justified, but produces by the Holy Spirit the fruit of love and leads necessarily to sanctification. This necessary relation between justifying faith, fruit of good works, gives rise to some biblical expressions which seem to make works the ground or means of justification, but in fact, simply express the crucial truth that faith that does not yield the fruit of good works is dead being no true faith. Okay, it's a mouthful. uh, To say that church history has had some wrestling matches about what I just read to you would be a colossal understatement. We're talking about the division uh, between... Protestant, evangelical, Gospel theology, and Catholicism. We're talking about major divisions between the East and the West, Eastern Eastern Orthodox Church and and uh, what has come in in Western evangelicalism. I mean this is this is to, to say it's the doctrine of doctrines uh, would not be an overstatement. Obviously theology proper, the doctrine of God is, is the ground of everything, but man's relation to God hinges on the biblical truth of justification. So here's what we're going to try to do. All right, you got to listen fast. We'll take seven aspects of this affirmation. I'll show you why I did seven as we walk through. I'll go back to the affirmation with some highlights. Sola Fide will be our first focus. It's The Latin phrase, one of the five solas of the Reformation, faith alone is uh, sola fide. In the affirmation, it says, right at the beginning, we believe that in a free act of righteous grace, God justifies the ungodly by faith, alone, apart from works. It's one of the most important sentences you'll ever hear in your life, and I do mean that that is not an overstatement. Down at the next yellow part. Thus, the righteousness by which we come into right standing with God, dot, 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 is imputed to us. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. This is Titus chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. He, the triune God, saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Being Justified by his grace. <clears throat> Romans 3. Uh, a few and a pillar of theologians in church history have said this is the most important paragraph ever written in the history of the world. The reason they say that is because all Christians agree the Bible is the most important book. If you had to pick one book of the Bible that contained the most condensed. Ordo Salutis, we talked about that a month ago. Order of Salvation. Meaning would say that's Romans. So, if the Bible's most important book and Romans is the most condensed book, and you keep whittling down, what's the most power-packed paragraph in Romans? Many have said it's this paragraph. You guys know verse twenty-three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse twenty-four, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, all grace. How do you apprehend this grace? Titus said, mercy. Romans says, grace. Neither neither passage has yet told us how to lay hold of this grace. We're talking about sola fide. Here's the answer. Romans 3.28, which is right after what we just read. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So faith alone, the sole instrument by which we receive all that God is for us in Christ. Romans 4, very next paragraph almost from what we just read. Now to the one who works, his wage is credited, yeah, pardon me, for to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes, there's faith believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. This knocks the leg out from beneath any stool that says you have to improve yourself in any measure to be made right with God. We say around Grace Church often, uh, the only contribution we make to our salvation is the sin which makes it necessary. We do not work. We believe. Faith, therefore, which is number seven on my list of seven things I hope to touch, cannot be a work. Have you ever heard sentences like this? Uh, The proverbial, what would you say to God if he said, why should I let you into my heaven when you die? And people say things like, I prayed my prayer. I prayed to receive Christ. He's not going to ask you that question, but I promise you don't want to start it with first-person personal pronouns. I, me, no, 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 no. He, him. Faith is not a work. Romans 5, the next chapter. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to come back to that phrase, peace with God, in just a moment. So faith is is, uh, the sole instrument, is all we're laying down first. Faith alone. Galatians 2. How many times can Paul say the same thing in one verse? There's at least three times he says the same thing in Galatians 2.16. See if you can find them. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be Justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. That's three times he said the same thing in one verse. (laughs) Justified by faith in Christ, faith alone. Galatians 3 Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. Why? So that we may be justified. By faith, radically biblical truth, first to last. You have been severed from Christ, Galatians 5, 4. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. There is no justification apart from faith alone. And one final passage. I know in a couple of weeks we'll pick back up on this one in our practical part. Paul writes, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not but. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Faith alone, hallmark doctrine of the Christian faith uh, taught from first to last in Scripture. Abraham, Genesis 15.6 was counted righteous by faith. So, if you come to God through faith in Christ alone, sola fide, God declares something extraordinarily wonderful. The knowledge of sins forgiven. Do you have the knowledge of sins forgiven? It's the big burden that will roll off your shoulders like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, when you get to the cross. Sins forgiven. In the statement of faith, it said, we believe, da da da, da 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 da. God justifies the ungodly by faith apart from works, pardoning their sins. You know what Christianity has that no other religious construct has? No. How do I say this negatively? Because it's such a good positive. <laughs> You don't have to wait until you die to know if you're accepted with God. Every other religious construct is you're just trying to make your good outweigh your best. Hope it all works out in the end. Even Catholicism. Purgatorial payment, you know, you'll eventually get there, so I guess they would say they have a little bit of confidence. Christianity alone. Right now, full, free, clean before God. Romans 4... Cite Psalm 32 concerning David's message, just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not We said it before, it kind of becomes adage-like, almost white noise, but try to hear this fresh for the first time. Satan knows your name and calls you by your sin. If you come to God in Christ, God knows your sin and calls you by your name. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Hebrews 10 quotes the New Covenant promise from Jeremiah 31. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days says the Lord I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. He then says and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things there is no longer any offering for sin. Christ has forgiven. The Father chooses not to to regard you according to your sin. So we've seen faith alone. We've seen sins forgiven. Imputed righteousness. You may have seen that word in our uh, affirmation. God reckons them as righteous and acceptable in his presence. And uh, down at the bottom, right there, forgot to highlight it, but rather is accomplished for us outside ourselves and is imputed to us. If that's a new word for you, this is what we mean. Second Corinthians 5 He, that's God the Father, made Him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So however Jesus was made to be sin, we become the righteousness of God. Did Jesus become a sinner? No, the Holy Spirit is incredibly precise with His terms. He did not become a sinner. He became reckoned by God as sin. And He was treated as if He were a sinner because He became sin for us. In that same way, our sin imputed to Christ the glorious doctrine of double imputation. Our sin imputed to Christ, those who come to God through faith in Jesus alone have Christ's righteousness imputed to them. God credits him a sinner, God credits you as righteous as Christ. That's imputation. <clears throat> Romans 3, again, that glorious paragraph I referred to earlier says, Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for those who believe you actually get it deposited it deposited it deposited into your spiritual bank account all the righteousness of Jesus through faith for all who believe that's the way God sees you you've heard it said before that God sees those in Christ by looking through Christ to see them he sees you as righteous as Christ is in terms of your justification. So that's it. the imputation of righteousness comes through faith alone, sins forgiven, imputed righteousness. Uh, I said it was number seven. It's number four. Faith is not a work. Number seven is faith works. Uh, so first, faith is not a work. The affirmation says, faith is thus the sole instrument by which we as sinners are united to Christ, whose perfect righteousness and satisfaction for sins is alone the ground of our acceptance with God. So back up. What is the alone ground of our acceptance with God? Christ's perfect righteousness and satisfaction for sin, satisfaction for sins. How do we get that perfect righteousness in Christ's satisfaction? Keep backing up to the first yellow part. Faith. It's the only instrument. Faith is not a word. One of the best descriptions of faith I know, which is why I just keep saying it over and over and over. Hopefully if you've been around grace for any length of time at all, you can finish this sentence. Faith is, this is one of the best descriptions I know. I do it like this almost every time. The empty-handed receiving of all that God is for you in Christ. It's not a work. You're bringing nothing. You're bringing nothing. You're receiving. That's what faith is. Faith is receiving, not doing. Faith is not a work. Romans 5 says so. So then, as through one transgression, Adam, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, Christ's death on the cross, there resulted justification of life to all men, for as through the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners. Even though so, through the obedience of the one, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. It's you are saved by works. It's just not your works. The work of Christ and faith is not a work. It's the receiving of what God has done for us in Christ. Jeremiah twenty three. Uh, such a Beautiful passage, I'll spare a few comments. Um, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, and I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Tzitzitkenu my righteousness, all of it, 100% of my righteousness is in Him. I'm just receiving Him. That's His name. He is our righteousness. So faith is not a work. Faith is the empty-handed receiving of all that God is for you in Christ. Uh, Another way to say it, you cannot fit through the narrow door of heaven holding all your good works to make God like you more. All right, full pardon and eternal peace. We have talked about sins forgiven. That's half of the good news. But it's not the best half. Getting your sin forgiven is gloriously good news. Do not hear me minimize how amazing the knowledge of sins forgiven is. Being saved from the penalty of sin, hell. But that's that, that's a that's a glorious half. The other half is being made right with God. Uh, we're told that Jesus died the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God, having peace with God. You get God. You get peace with God forever. Uh, the affirmation says this acceptance happens fully and permanently at the first instant of justification. If somebody gives their life to Christ today, in that classroom right now, in this gathering, in the service to follow, if somebody gets saved today, they will never be more justified a billion eternities from now than they are today. That's what we're talking about. Total peace with God forever. That's what justification screams. That's why it's such a glorious doctrine. Therefore, having been justified by faith, Romans 5.1, I said we'd come back to this, we have peace with God. Not maybe if you you know, are a little above muster in your pathetic excuse for a Christian life, God might like you. No! Full favor, all of God's favor, Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the doctrine of justification. Present, active, indicative, first person, plural. We have peace with God. All right, alien righteousness. This is super important. Um, it doesn't mean uh, spaceships. Not alien, like like our our world wants to you know conjure up. We're talking outside of us righteousness. We've touched this a little bit, but I want you to notice how the affirmation says it, outside ourselves. Let me pick up that whole sentence. Thus the righteousness, I'm, I'm on this line at the end, thus the righteousness by which we come into right standing with God is not anything worked in us by God, neither imparted to us at baptism nor over time, but rather is accomplished for us outside ourselves and is imputed to us. This is the doctrine that has been called Alien righteousness. It's Christ's outside of us righteousness. It's not something God works into us. So There's two types of righteousness for Christians. Imputed and imparted or positional and practical. We're talking about positional righteousness. We're talking about being placed in position, Christ, by faith. You get his righteousness. Philippians 3, we looked at it earlier, says you don't want this, a righteousness of your own. You do want this, the righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Those are your two options. You can try to get it yourself, build your tower of Babel to try to get to heaven, all your good works. Or you can actually repent from the best things you've ever done. Not just the bad things you've done. But you tell God, I'm sorry for trying to make myself more acceptable in your sight. That's tantamount to saying to God, You shouldn't have sent Jesus. I appreciate that. Thanks for all you went through. I could have done it myself. You don't want that. You want the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's the last line right there. Romans 10. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. There's been a lot of controversy over what end means in this verse. But what's crystal clear is if you believe upon him, you have Christ as the telos, the fulfillment of all God's law, all his righteous requirements. That's not in debate among anybody. Galatians 2.21, right after the great 2.20, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Pay careful attention to this verse. I know I've been in fast-forward mode. One more thing I want to say before we close. That's why I'm in fast-forward mode. But look at this. Nullify, void, cancel, erase. I do not do that to God's grace. I don't push His grace aside. Look at the if then. If righteousness comes through the law, if I can get it by my doing, that means there was no reason for Jesus to die. I assure you, you don't want to tell God, y'all know the drill. That's my i got to stop talking in a minute alarm. You don't want to tell God, His cross work is really good for other people. But here's here's God's work needless for me. You have to throw yourself by faith alone into the arms of Christ alone. Be saved by grace alone. The glory of God alone, according to the scripture alone. Five solos of the Reformation. Last thing I want to say, faith works. We've already said faith is not a work. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. I've tried to labor that and labor that. A lot of other verses didn't even touch Ephesians 2, which is one of the hallmark passages on this whole doctrine. But faith does work. Faith that does not yield the fruit of good works is dead, being no true faith. True, saving faith manifests itself in good works. We'll be talking about this in April, the doctrine of sanctification. But look at the connections here in Galatians. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, Judaism, nor uncircumcision, Gentile, means anything but faith working through love. That's what faith should do. Should have highlighted this whole verse. Even so faith, James 2.17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. You're not stapling fruit to a dead tree to make it look alive. Living roots in Christ, He produces the fruit. You're not called to produce it. You're called to wear it. To bear it. Abide in Christ, you'll bear fruit. Galatians 2.26, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Galatians 5, The fruits of the spirit what it looks like to be made alive in Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. This is what Christ within looks like And just a quick uh, sermonette on the fruits of the Spirit. I think it's a nine-fold configuration of Christ. This is what Jesus looks like. This is Christ's likeness. Nobody more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind. It's, it's just Christ in you. That's what the fruits of the Spirit are. And in 1 Timothy 1.5, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. What does sincere faith look like? Good conscience, pure heart, love, it flows out. 1 John, we know we've passed out of death into life. How? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. No true faith. The one who does not love 1 John 4, 8, does not know God, for God is love. This is fruit and root. You can try to attach the fruit all day long. The root has to be right, and God will do the producing. 1 John 4, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Fruit, root. One more. 1 John 2, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Is that perfect keeping of the commandments, sinless perfectionism, impeccability? No. This is pattern. This is habit. This is dominating principle. This is rule versus exception. This is trajectory. This is a life moving toward the fullness of Christ. That's what saving faith is produces. So faith does work. I have two recommended reading books and I'm going to stop talking. Uh, This one, I was pretty ambitious one day, but I read it in one day. It's not very big is what I'm trying to say, but it's fantastic. Counted Righteous in Christ Should We Abandon the Imputation of Christ's Righteousness by Piper you could read that. I I recommend it highly, highly. And then if you want to know why we're sitting in this room today It has a lot to do with what God did in the 16th century Reformation, especially when God helped this guy rediscover the doctrine of justification by faith. That's Martin Luther. And his commentary on Galatians is not big, but it is fantastic. Um, That would be highly, highly, highly recommended. Well, there's a little biblical theology on the justifying act of God.